Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, today's event. My name is Akash Pound. I'm a senior fellow of the Institute for Government in London, which, for those unaware, is an independent think tank that works to improve the effectiveness of government across the UK. And, and as part of that mission, we have a very uh, deep interest in the subject of today's conversation. Uh, the specific question we're here to discuss is what is Labour's vision for levelling up and devolution within England? And we've got a, a great panel uh, to, to explore that uh, subject with us. Uh, we're really pleased to be working on this event in partnership with Grant Thornton UK. Uh, Grant Thornton uh, provides assurance, tax and advisory services to central government and the wider public sector. And uh, we're grateful to Grant Thornton, who we've worked with on a few things now, for their support of this event. Um, and Phil Woolley from the company will be, will be saying a few words on their behalf in a few moments. The subject of today's event is, of course, hugely topical. It's already been a, a big focus of discussion um, here in Liverpool over the past couple of days. Um, Levelling up as a phrase may, of course, have been coined by the Conservative Party, but in its core uh, focus on trying to reduce regional inequality, um, it's obviously something that Labour um, is, is very much committed to as well, whatever one might call it. And with the government now just, uh, well, four days ago, having signalled what seems to be a pretty dramatic shift in course in terms of its economic and fiscal strategy, um, and seemingly deprioritizing levelling up as part of that. There is, I think, an opportunity for, for Labour to really um, think about what its approach to this subject uh, might be and to, to, to set out a, a vision for how a Labour government could take action to, to tackle economic, health, educational and other um, inequalities between the different parts of the country. Um, and related to that question, of course, is the big issue of, of devolution. Can poorer or under, underachieving parts of the country be levelled up via central government action? Or is a stronger role for local and regional leaders going to be a necessary and, and central part of the solution? I think most people probably uh, would say that it will be. But in which case, what are the specific powers and funding that should be devolved, <coughs> and to what tier of government, to local authorities, to metro mayors such as Andy, um, to local communities, lo lo lower level than, than councils even, and how can we ensure in practical terms that devolution will be a success and delivers those improved outcomes that, that everyone wants to see. So there's some really important questions there for us to discuss, and, and I'm sure we're gonna hear a, a range of rich contributions um, on those subjects. So um, I'll just quickly introduce the panel and uh, then we will get going. So first to speak um, is going to be Andy Burnham, Mayor of Greater Manchester since 2017 of course and a consistent advocate for more devolution. Um, Andy, great to um, have you with us. Thanks for, thanks for joining. Um, Andy's going to be leaving a bit early so I will give members of the audience <coughs> the opportunity to put questions specifically to him um, before maybe some of the broader panel discussion. Um, so, so do start obviously formulating your questions 
as we get going. Um, second up after Andy, I'll, I'll come to Christian Wakeford uh, here on my right. Christian is Member of Parliament for Bury South. He's, he was elected in 2019 um, as a Conservative MP initially, uh, joined Labour earlier this year, I think arguing in part that uh, the reason was that the government was, was really failing to deliver on its levelling up commitments. So, uh, and, and failing to, to, to deliver for, for your constituency. So I'm interested in your take on all that, Christian. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Um, I'll then come to Professor Francesca Gaines. Francesca, welcome. Uh, uh, she's a Professor of Public Policy and Co-Director of Policy at Manchester, uh, which is the University of Manchester's sector-leading policy engagement institute. And again, we've, we've worked with Policy Manchester on a few occasions, so great to do so again. And then finally, last but not least, pleased to be joined by Philip Woolley. Phil's a partner and head of public services consulting at Grant Thornton UK, our partners on this event. And Phil will be talking through some insights from research that Grant Thornton's recently commissioned on, um, I think, what, what different kinds of stakeholder, business, uh, local government, voters in different parts of the country actually want to see from levelling up and whether those different views are aligned with each other. At least that's what I understand <laughs> <laughs> in my uh, brief um, look at what you've done, the, the research to be. So looking forward to hearing about that. Okay, I think that's all uh, from me in terms of introductions. Uh, just in terms of housekeeping, we're recording this um, hopefully the audio is working and uh, we'll be live tweeting it as well from the IFG events Twitter account using hashtag IFGLab22 if anyone wants to engage there. Uh, so that's enough for me. Thank you all for joining and uh, very pleased to introduce Andy Burnham. Thanks uh, very much. Akash, good morning everybody. Really good to see so many people here. Thank you. This is uh, uh, exciting because the question we're about to address is becoming very real, isn't it? There's a very real prospect of a, of a Labour government, um, uh, which is something we've not, if honestly, been able to say for, I think, the 10 or 12 conferences since we left government, but I think it feels like this one is a conference that is, is preparing us to go back to government, which is uh, a great uh, feeling. And what I wanted to do this morning is, um, Something rare, actually, for a fringe meeting. I'm going to actually answer the question and uh, di very directly <laughs> and try and nail the question. Uh, what is Labour's vision for levelling up and devolution within England? I think there's some unfinished bits, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm not obviously in the shadow cabinet, and maybe they would have a slightly different take. But the answer, simply, is it's Greater Manchester's. That's the answer to the question. So let me just explain why I, why I say that. Um, without being too arrogant about it, it is, I think it's true. Uh, in March this year, myself and the, the ten leaders of Greater Manchester, and bear in mind it's a Labour-led administration, which it might be a, you know, a similar arrangement, well, not, not obviously with Conservatives in it, but it may be with other parties, um, we set out a joint vision for a fairer, greener Greater Manchester. You may have heard that slogan somewhere else uh, this week, but that's what we did. Um, that was our vision, uh, 2038, a net zero city region. And what we uh, put out was a 16-year journey to that that uses, if you like, greener as the catalyst for change, because obviously it's something we've got to do as a country to get to net zero. But that catalyst becomes the, the 
process by which you level up, by which you create better transport, better homes, and better jobs for people. So that was absolutely our journey that we've set out as a city region. You, know, you improve the basics for people uh, by moving them to future-facing uh, net zero uh, solutions. And to, to have a government come in behind us on that obviously would be, would be tremendously exciting. I think Greater Manchester, in some ways, is a laboratory for the country now in terms of the, the, the settlement that we've had and the way we work with Francesca and the other universities. It, it, it's, it is quite something, actually, the ecosystem that we've got. You know, we're big enough to matter, but not so big that we're unwieldy. You know, we can do things within, with our 10 boroughs that can prove concepts that then could be taken UK-wide. And I think that's why we're interested in this, in this context. So how, how then to make it real? Let me try and explain to you what I mean by the drive to net zero becomes the drive to, to level up. So the big one, the obvious one, is transport. And that's the thing that uh, is is you know, happening now in Greater Manchester. I've taken the decision to put buses back under public control. Now, why is that so important when you consider greener? You've got to be able to control the pace of change to a decarbonised transport fleet. If you're, wait, if you're hoping and you know, crossing your fingers that the operators will do it, well, it might not happen at the pace that you want it to happen. But when you control the system, you can control the pace of change. And you can, you can set that out. I placed an order for 50 electric buses with Alexander Dennis in Scarborough. So we're building electric buses in the north of England, uh, which is a great statement, uh, I think. Um, and they're on order now to come into service in Wigan and Bolton uh, next September, a year from now. Uh, greener buses on the streets of Wigan and Bolton, bringing a whole range of benefits. The plan is that a third of our bus fleet will be uh, electric by 2027. Um, obviously, the vision is the B network, a London-style public transport system for Greater Manchester, because when you control the, the fare box for the buses, you can then link it to the fare box we already control on the trams, <coughs> and you can apply that London principle of a cap across both uh, modes, uh, and then you can make it work uh, much better for people. And actually, a, a more affordable, integrated public transport system will do for Greater Manchester exactly what it did for London, which is increase productivity, help people get around more, connect people to jobs and training. And it will be a decarbonised system by, uh, I would say, the early, the early 2030s. That's, that's the thinking. Um, that's the, the kind of the progress we want to make. The trams, it's a great success story. I'm not sure we shout about it enough. The trams in Greater Manchester already run on renewable energy and have done for a number of years. So they are zero emission at street level. Uh, but obviously, you imagine that in your mind now, that our trams, which many of you will have been on, if you then think of the buses being one system with the trams, all of it uh, zero emission, it's a plan for levelling up and it's a plan for a greener, cleaner city region. Uh, so that, that is happening. Just then to sort of kind of tilt it towards how it might create better jobs, we are thinking that it won't be a, a whole electric system, that hydrogen will play a role, green hydrogen particularly. And I'm looking at whether or not one of our depots could become a green hydrogen depot. As we take control of the bus depots, could we 
create a first user case for green hydrogen using our reformed public transport system because we think it will be a mix in the future. It won't all be one. It's not a VHS Betamax situation. It will be a, a kind of bit of both. But that then creates a cluster of green hydrogen that then builds an industry, if you like, beyond that. So you're kind of the change on public transport becomes a change that you can use to, to create new industry. Uh, and that's where, where this gets exciting. I'll just touch on homes, you know, because uh, obviously we're going to have to retrofit homes uh, as a country if we're going to hit 2050. But here again is where Great Manchester can be a laboratory. We have a retrofit task force, we have a retrofit action plan. We've brought the different players together from construction, skills, finance. You know, we, we've kind of done some of that thinking. The drive to retrofit homes to make them zero carbon should be also a major home improvement programme across the north of England. If you go back to COVID, you look at where those hotspots were. It was in the places where the housing is poorest uh, in the country, but particularly across those, uh, the northern parts of Greater Manchester, parts of Lancashire, into West Yorkshire. That is where uh, COVID had the strongest hold. And I would say you need a retrofit programme that is much more about giving everyone in this country a decent home. Every, you know, in, in UK law, I would say, Every UK citizen should be uh, entitled to a, a decent home. Well, that's not the case at the moment in the private rented sector. It, Greater Manchester, 30 to 40% of our homes are beneath the decent standard. So, kind of retrofit homes, but improve them at the, same, at the same time. And that is how greener tilts into fairer, or fairer and greener are achieved uh, in, in one go. Um, obviously, alongside this, you've got the whole drive to, to change energy. Uh, we've mapped local energy systems across all of our 10 boroughs. Um, we've got a really clear picture of, of what, what we've got, but what we need to, to completely decarbonise our energy system. I would encourage, you know, the, the, the bus principle should apply to energy too. You know, we shouldn't be frightened of public control or even public ownership of localised uh, clean energy systems. Put communities in control of some of those systems. Co-ops would be, a, I think, a really natural uh, answer here, you know, if you're looking at a, a market failure as we are at the moment, kind of rebuild with, with people in control of their own of their own energy, heating, and more, more in control because their homes are better insulated as well. I, I would say, you know, that that is a, a reform that a Labour government should should bring through, um, and um, you know, then you've got obviously better homes that are much cheaper to eat. You reduce the cost of living for people, and this is why greener can be fairer. And what you want is, at the end of that journey, the cost of living should have dropped significantly for people on the lowest income. So the cost of public transport should be much lower than it is today. The cost of energy should be much lower than it is today. And hopefully, the cost of rent, rental should be much lower than it is today. Alongside the retrofitting, we have a plan for 30,000 zero-carbon homes for social rent across our city region. So across our 10 boroughs in Christiansborough of Bury, 3,000 zero carbon homes for social rent. It's really encouraging to hear what Lisa Nandy said yesterday about a social housing building program. I would say, but make it zero carbon. There's no point in building homes that will need to be retrofitted. Get, and by doing that, you will kickstart a kind of mod, you know, the, the, the passive house or the modern methods of construction uh, uh, that we need, we need to see uh, by having the public sector uh, go first. Uh, and you know, that, I would also say, those new homes should be, young people should be given a first call on those, on those new homes. 
uh, to correct that, that uh, unfairness that they can't access the housing ladder. I'll kind of just then finish on the more jobs uh, side of this. You know, I've mentioned the jobs that could come through green hydrogen being, being dragged through by a, a kind of big change in transport. But also there's how many jobs in retrofitting? My God, you know, Steve Rotherham and I often say this. You know, we, you know, as you know, we're passionate about the northwest of England. We've obviously lived all of its, I was going to say ups and downs, many downs, if you like, since the 1980s. We've never been in a position in our political lives to say to a generation of young people growing up here, if they train in a certain set of skills that they could have a job for life. But I think retrofitting potentially provides that because if you know, we go first in Greater Manchester on a 2038 plan and we retrofit, we will build, well, we will prove the technology, but we will also build a skills base, won't we, that, of people who know how to do it. And they'll be able to take those skills to other parts of the country as, as the rest of the UK then catches up. And that's how this can, can work and benefit everybody. So the jobs in retrofitting are, are huge, but I do just want to touch on our partnership with the universities because you know that's a big part of this uh, as well. We have a commitment from Innovate UK to an innovation accelerator, 25 million uh, pounds over the next three years to, to really kind of bring through now how you can uh, innovate to get to greener, fairer. So that everything the university has done around graphene, for instance, could be a big part of the answer here. There's a new thing called concretine. You may not have heard it, but it's adding graphene to concrete, and it can reduce the use of cement in construction by 30, 30%. It's a, you know, a big change. You know, so that kind of focus that the university has around advanced materials, advanced manufacturing, when you link that to digitalization and decarbonization, which are also strengths of the Greater Manchester economy, you can see how we become a leader in the things, the technologies, the are the solutions that get you to greener and fairer. And that's why we have submitted uh, what's called Atom Valley uh, to the government as a potential um, growth uh, location. Uh, it's the north of Greater Manchester. It covers parts of Bury, uh, but also uh, Middleton, uh, Haywood, that area. We, that is our prime site, if you like, for bringing through new technology in partnership with the university who are uh, pioneering an institute on the site. That is how you can create a centre of excellence uh, in, the green, in the green economy. So I'll finish there really. You, you can see what we've done the thinking. We have a plan for a, uh, a levelled up public transport system. Uh, we, we believe we can level up people's homes uh, by, um, by retrofitting at scale and doing so quickly. Uh, and also you can see the, the, the jobs that, that come from it. So I would add a third thing to the, to the fairer, greener. You want fairer, greener, and then more prosperous, because I think that's the last one that, that kind of flows uh, for, from all of that. So, you know, people say levelling up is not defined. I think it absolutely is defined. And the last thing it is, it does need devolution. If, if this is to happen in the time frame set out, it will require the centre, finally, to stop making people like me and Steve Rotherham go on bended knee and plead for a little pot of something or other. I mean, that just won't get you there in the, in the time. Greater Manchester has done the thinking. And this is what frustrates me at times. We're kind of sitting there waiting for any government to sort of recognise that we can deliver what they keep talking about. We are sitting there waiting for a government to, to buy. I would go so far as to say as Greater Manchester is the last bastion of stable government in the United Kingdom. It's, uh, it's a very steady place and it knows what it wants to do. It knows where it, where it wants to go. It's got a plan for 2038. And we're saying, well, come on then, back us. We will do it. We've got a rec track record of delivery. You know, I'm, I'm talking about not all of this bidding and pots and all the rest of it. 
give us a block grant like Wales and Scotland with those outcomes around greener homes, greener transport, yeah. better jobs. Just give us that and then hold us to account and get us in front of the public accounts committee as many times as you like. I have no fear of that whatsoever. I'm quite happy to go and account for it. We know what you know, we're, we're doing. You know, I always said when I, when I was coming into this job, I said it, and it annoyed some people in local government around here, but I said the Mayor of Greater Manchester was a, as a, was a job, which was a cabinet-level job that requires cabinet-level experience. So I've got that, and I've applied that to what we're doing. We've built a vision. We're clear about where we're going. We know what we want to do. You know, the, the people in our system, the partnership we have with our colleagues in the universities is, is strong, it's second to none. You know, we, we are ready to do it, and if you free us up to do it, you will speed up the change in other parts of the country because they will feed off what we are doing. We're franchising the buses and Liverpool, we're sending all of our knowledge there because it will then speed up Liverpool's process of changing the buses. And this is how you can get growth going uh, in this country. It means that the centre has to, has to kind of let go. It has to, it has to task <coughs> us and let go and let us do it. And, but by all means, of course, hold us to, to account. And I'm, I don't yet see that that maturity is there in Whitehall. It doesn't like the North answering back, but I'm sorry it's going to have to get used to the North of England answering it back and telling it it's not doing enough, it's not going fast enough. It needs to trust us to get on and deliver. We will deliver, but that then will start to level up the North uh, and it will make the country not just greener, fairer, more prosperous. Here's the, here's the last uh, point I'll just add on to the list. It will make it more equal as well, and that will be a, a happier, healthier UK for everybody going forward. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you, Andy. You absolutely did what you promised and directly answered the question, so much appreciated. I thought you were actually going to get through that without even mentioning the word devolution, which I would have been very surprised by having, having seen you speak before, but um, you did come on to that, and, and we definitely want to pick up some of those themes in conversation. Um, as I said, yeah, if, if people... I, I'll come to the audience for questions for the mayor um, before he departs shortly. I just want to bring in the other panellists first, um, starting with Christian Wakeford. Uh, thank you. Um, Andy, I'm going to say I'm actually disappointed slightly, uh, mainly because you chose Wigan and Bolton and not Bolton and Berry uh, for, for uh, Transport First. Uh, but going to the actual question at the topic, what is Labour's view for levelling up? I'll, I'll disagree slightly, Andy. Um, I think we know what levelling up means. Uh, but I don't think central government knows what levelling up means. And there's a very clear report uh, from 12 years ago as to what levelling up should deliver and, and what it's fair to address, and it's the Marmot report. And it's about tackling health inequalities, educational inequalities, regional inequalities. And after 12 years, absolutely zero of it has actually been adopted. Uh, so uh, in regards to that perspective, it's actually really depressing. Uh, but from everyone I've spoken to, every panel I've sat on this, this week so far, there's a positive future coming from the likes of Lisa Nandy, from, from Bridget Phillips, and uh, from Johnny Reynolds. Everyone tasked with either business, with education, with local governments has a clear view as to what we actually want to do, how we're going to tackle these inequalities. And you know, to, to go to Andy's point, to, you know, to make the nation fairer, more equal, greener, but actually just to, to make it a, a good place to live. Uh, because when we, we look at all the issues that, that Andy's addressed, and whether it's housing, and I'm sure, Andy, when, when you were an MP, you know, all the issues that were coming through into your inbox, 
are just the same ones I get now, whether it's the quality of social housing, whether it's the quality of our local schools, whether it's the quality of our local health service, and it's because it's been starved of resource. Um, so when, when we go to what needs to be done, what needs to be addressed, yes, we need to define it, and you know, that, that bit's the easy bit, but then we need to invest in it. But it can't just be a case of, here's a chunk of money, there you go, good luck. Um, you know, it needs a full, meaningful and holistic strategy. And you know, for, for what Andy's done so far, you know, whether it's the, the capping of public fares on, uh, on buses and actually bringing them into to ownership, actually having a tram network that is fit for purpose, it's fantastic because you know, from people in, in Radcliffe, in my constituency, which is one of the most deprived towns in Greater Manchester, you can be in Manchester in 25 minutes. So all of a sudden that opens up a meaningful job market for, for everybody. Uh, which is you know, absolutely fantastic, but we need to make sure the, the education is there first. Um, but when, you know, when I knock on doors in the constituency, the one message I've got is there just seems to be an abject lack of hope. Yeah. And after all these years, you know, even just from the last week with the, the budget, non-budget, fiscal event, whatever you want to call it, this is arguably going to be the darkest time uh, in the last couple of years. But there is that ray of ray of hope in the distance and it's with a, a Labour government that is actually listening to people and I think already in this conference I think we've gone from opposition to alternative and that's a big step in the right direction but whether we're looking at economic areas, free ports, investment and wh whatever the government wants to call it this week, um, I mean other than a booming trade for sign manufacturers, they historically don't work. We, we need to be investing in our towns, in our universities, in our schools, and the government just doesn't get that. You know, the future is very bright uh, with, uh, with with some of the uh, prospective uh, ideas coming through. The, the Institute of Technology uh, for University of Salford, absolutely fantastic idea. But if we're not having children leaving school with the, the right skills, the, the right mindset, then we've created a barn with no animals to go into. It's, it's absolutely... Uh, just lacking a wider strategy and that's what we, we really need to be thinking of. But in terms of people, you know, what are we actually doing to tackle the health inequalities? Now I'm, I'm quite passionate about smoking health and, and more particularly in regards to alcohol addiction uh, after having lo lost both my, my father and my older brother to, to smoking and alcohol uh, respectively. And it feels like government just doesn't want to tackle mental health feels like government doesn't want to tackle addiction because it's seen as a personal choice. No one chooses to be an addict, but again, it's very much a case of good luck trying to find any services, good luck trying to get anything, but you did this to yourself. It's absolutely wrong, it's absolutely despicable, and as a country, we should be rightfully ashamed uh, as to where we are right now. Uh, but there is so much more that we can be doing, there's so much more that we could actually achieve if there was a political will to do so. Um, in regards to how we're actually going to deliver levelling up, I'm sorry, it's going to be a lot harder because I think from the, the trust government and we're only a couple of weeks into it, they don't care about levelling up. They don't care about Greater Manchester. They don't care about the North and we only needed to see that with the budget from last week. You know, their priorities are fracking. You know, that was a great success in lecture where I was a councillor. You know, their priorities are bankers' bonuses to move growth. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't think anyone in this room is calling for a bankers' bonus to cap to be lifted. I don't think anyone 
in this room is going for £150,000 salaries to, to have a, a tax incentive. There is absolutely no help for anyone working, there is absolutely no help for graduates. You know, there's no help for those who are disabled on low incomes. And you know, this is the, the lifeblood, the driving force of this country. So actually, you know, most importantly, when we're talking about leveling up, you need a government that's on your side. You need a government that's not only going to talk to you, but listen to you. And we don't have that. We've not had it for a long, long time. So in, in regards to the work that Andy's done, and I've been quite fortunate uh, to work with Andy's team on the likes of you know, how, how we work around uh, how introducing more flexibility into the apprenticeship levy. Because on paper, it was a great idea investing in training, investing in our future. But it's so rigid that all, all we've done is create a, a legion of MBAs and uh, large companies investing in degree apprenticeships for their workforce. And that's not what it should have been there for. It was meant to be investing in young people, giving them the careers uh, giving them the opportunity, more importantly, uh, to actually go out there, thrive, but to succeed. Um, when we talk about the brain drain and people feeling the need to leave the towns, the villages where they grew up, because there's no opportunities there, there's no ac you know, accessibility. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's, that's kind of where, where we come by default. So we, we absolutely need to have that more holistic view, and it's building houses where they're needed. It's about creating the, the opportunities, and whether it's, uh, whether it's Atom Valley, whether it's institutes of technology, whether it's the investments in our town centres and city centres. Manchester's open for business. You know, Manchester is listening. Manchester is doing everything we can do, and it's because we've got a mayor in Andy Burnham that actually will go out there, will talk to people, will listen to people more importantly, and will take the, those views on board. Uh, so, so really, Andy, I, I doff my cap to you. You've been working in, in, in challenging times, and you know, I, I know from before I crossed before, you know, there's been quite a few times where you know, we, we've agreed and you know, we, we work very closely. Because for me, the, the number one core principle is what do I do to deliver for the people of Berry South? And Andy has been doing that. Yeah, Andy is the solution for that locally. Um, but we need more of that. Um, so in terms of devolution, we can't just have a postcode lottery. Uh, we can't just say, well, you know, I mean, Lancashire, where I came from, how do you have devolution? How do you have a metro mayor? There's no shared politics. There's no centre for everyone to look to. And I don't mean party politics. The, the politics of the west of the county to the politics of the east of the county are fundamentally different. But then do you look to Blackburn, to Preston, to, to Lancaster? No one knows. But what we need to do is create the blueprint for, for everyone to say, well, actually, that's what we aspire to be. That's what we want to do, to, to achieve everything we possibly can do for the residents we represent. Uh, so in terms of devolution, absolutely roll it out. We need to do a lot more of it. Do I think there's the appetite from government? No. Uh, to put it bluntly, I, I think when we, if, from a government perspective, looked at devolution, they look at uh, Ben House and they look at Andy Street and say, well, devolution is fantastic, we want more of it. And then we look to Andy and realise that Andy might cause a few headaches for government. Um, but it's the right headaches to have because it's the right conversations to have. And then they realise that actually they don't want to create a few new Andy Burnhams. So all of a sudden devolution starts stalling. Um, so whilst it is being rolled out, it's being rolled out slowly. But devolution isn't just a case of having a metro mayor, it's about having more and more powers there. So it's how we devolve education. And it's how we devolve skills, to you know, transport, health, etc. Already there, 
uh, and they're already succeeding, but we need to do much, much more. But when we're talking about levelling up, when we're talking about skills, the absolutely fundamental that we need to address quickly is mental health. Uh, it's at absolute epidemic levels in our country right now. And until we've got a meaningful strategy to address that, unfortunately, we're going to be failing. So I think when we're talking about the solution, that has to be fundamental. So it can be fairer, it can be greener. I think it has to be healthier as well. So I think in terms of that, that's what we need to be talking about. But I'll move on to the agenda. Christian, thank you very much. Um, okay, great. Um, so I'm now very pleased to introduce Francesca Gaines. Francesca, over to you. Well, I'm going to be super quick because I know Andy's time's limited and people want to ask questions from the floor. But I've got to say, it's, it's so marvellous, Andy, to be back here with you at a Labour Party conference. 2017 we did, 2018 we did. And that was all about aspiration, the hope for what could be achieved from this new model of devolved power, devolved money and decisions. And, you know, we were making the case. And, you know, as you talked this morning, we can see what's been achieved. So to come direct, directly to the question that's posed, I don't need to go over the what devolution policies have achieved in terms of opportunity, better jobs, stimulating innovation, uh, making people feel empowered, because I think Andy's covered that. So what I want to talk about is some of the politics of devolution that still might get in the way and, and how Labour needs to position itself. So the politics of devolution, we know that, you know, if you knock on doorsteps, actually the mechanics of devolution are not what's going to engage people. What people need to be engaged by is the appeal to, to the optimism and the aspiration that Andy talked to. They want better jobs, they want sustainable communities, they want thriving communities, communities where families can stay together and grow and um, people can live their best lives. And that's what devolution can deliver. But you're not necessarily going to get people to want to engage with devolution on the doorstep. But people do want decisions taken more closely to them. So that's one thing about the politics of devolution. The second thing is, and I have heard this from um, from the left, it's, there's a concern that going down the route of creating um, combined authorities and elected mayors will somehow devalue other local place-based political leadership and their autonomy. And that is just not the case at all. As Andy said, you work with the 10 leaders in Greater Manchester. I'm quite sure that you feel sometimes there are robust conversations in private. That's healthy, that is a thriving democracy. So I don't think we should go down the, we, don't, we shouldn't be worried about uh, building a model that works around combined authorities and elected mayors that, who work with other local place-based political leaders. The other thing that you sometimes I've heard uh, is, will this create Whitehall in the regions? No, absolutely not. I am a member of the Women and Girls Panel in Greater Manchester. Uh, that's one of a number of equality panels 
that bring together communities of identity, of interest, that feed in uh, marginalised voices, voices that are not represented. We have, a, we have a channel to the Mayor. We bring our concerns to the Mayor. I've done some work with Greater Manchester on how that more participatory democracy can work with the elected councillors and the, the combined authority. Honestly, we can design democracy to work in a way that meets people's aspirations, that gives people optimism, gives people's voice. We have to do that work behind the scenes. You know, I, I read this morning, you know, we blasted an asteroid. If we can blast an asteroid in outer space, we can work out the mechanics of devolution. So don't, as a Labour Party, don't get worried about backing this model because this model does work in terms of stimulating innovation, investment, optimism, good jobs, sustainable jobs, um, communities that thrive. So how, how does Labour position itself? <clears throat> well, um, I think there's just acres of space now there, isn't there? Because investment zones don't necessarily lead to those good jobs. I do think you need that engagement and partnership with universities, with uh, business investors, uh, w with the civic society in order to do something that's more robust than simply open up investment zones. There's, there's, there's acres of space, there's going to be one hell of a fiscal mess to sort out, but I think um, going along with devolution um, in order to deliver that healthier, greener future it is absolutely the right way to go. And let us do the nuts and bolts behind the scenes. And that's all that. Okay, thank you, Francesca. Um, Andy, do you have a few more minutes? It, it, yeah, if I take a couple of questions, I'd probably leave just after 10 to, if that's okay. Okay, that's yeah. fine. So Phil's kindly said, in the interest of time, <laughs> we'll take a quick round of questions specifically for Andy. Um, okay, so sorry, there's way too many hands. Apologies. So the first one I saw was gentleman there, um, lady in the in the middle there, and then um, gentleman here. Apologies to the rest of you. Really have no time. Uh, hi, um, I just want to make a quick point. My name's Shad Mustak. I'm a councillor in Oldham in Greater Manchester. Um, we've spoken about the great work Andy's done and Labour in general. I think our strength. Uh, and Professor Gaines, you just mentioned difficult conversations with the leaders of Greater Manchester. Actually, Andy, myself, we've been in meetings with residents that have been more than difficult, more than challenging, sometimes just outright nasty. But Andy's always there, he always comes back, he always speaks to the residents. And something I always say to council officers as well when we're talking about policy, they're not always connected to what's happening on the ground. And I think... Uh, the example, and this could easily be missed, is that Andy speaks to the residents, not just the ones that are nice to us, but the ones that really don't like us. And that's, what's, that, that, that's a key ingredient, I think, that nationally, MPs, uh, we need to adopt. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Laura Shaw from the West Midlands Combined Authority. Specific question about the constitutional review that um, has been leaked by Gordon Brown and what opportunities do you think there are in that? 
leaked <laughs> by Gordon Brown, did you say? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's <absolutely> not. <laughs> but that's yes, that's good. I was keen to bring that up as well. Thank you. I'm afraid that was the question I was going to ask, which was oh, well, what Andy's view was um, of the I did proposal. see, yeah, a few people at the back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, again, apologies to the others. Uh, uh, a question for Andy, and that is whether Tom Brake from Unlock Democracy, we campaign on devolution issues. Can you deliver your program as things stand at the moment, or do you need that block grant or additional powers and funding? And if so, what would they be? Okay, thanks. Short and sweet. Andy? Yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're great questions. Oh, can everyone hear okay? Um, so, in many ways, Chad, what you're saying is kind of what Francesca was, was saying. And the reason why this model works, I think, is because it is genuinely bottom-up. So, you know, London has got a great system, but it was a layer that was introduced to the GLA. The combined authority model is built from the bottom, isn't it? It's built from the councils. They are the GMCA. And I think that's its strength. Bottom-up change is better change, isn't it? You know, the more you involve people from the bottom-up, the more they will want feel a part of what, what you're doing. You're absolutely right. We do have difficult conversations. But that's the way I try to do it as mayor. You know, really build from that level up. And then you, know, you, you create, not everybody, but a sense of ownership of what we're, what we're trying to do. And I think that's why the combined authority model works, because it's closer to the ground, because of the local authorities being the, the building block of the system. And I do take uh, Christian's point you know, I want this map to be filled in. I want a model of combined authority for everybody. Because obviously it makes, you know, Labour should be about unions of local authorities as well as unions of nations, shouldn't we? You know, that's what we should be about. And I think there's a pettiness and parochialism in local government that needs to go, to be honest. That's my, you know, my experience of it. I like a lot of what I find in local government, but I don't like that, that bit of it. It's way too narrow-minded sometimes about, oh, they get this and we don't get Forget it. You've got common interest in a, in a locality. You just need to start working together. Not on everything, but the things that make sense for you to work together on. So I want a model of combined authority everywhere. Um, in terms of what more do we need, Tom, I mean, uh, again, Christian mentioned it. It is skills is the very big missing piece in the Greater Manchester Jigsaw. Um, you know, we have a different economy to Laura in the, in the West Midlands. So therefore, it follows that we need to build a different talent pipeline in to feed our economy. You know, I, hear from people in the digital and tech sector all the time, they're worried about the talent yeah. sort of not coming through. So, you know, the, the journey of devolution really needs to sort of recognise that skills, we're bidding at the moment, alongside Andy in the West Midlands, we're both saying co-commissioning of 16 to 19, full control of post-19, that would be a, a, big, a, a big step forward. I think we should take more control of the of, of, of the benefit system, not to set the rates, but if you take something like housing allowance, linking housing allowance as part of universal credit to the decent home standard. Why are landlords with these private rented properties that they never, ever put a pound in, of investment into, just taking all of this public money? You know, we, sh we should be able to put conditions on the use of, uh, on the use of, uh, of funds. Uh, so there, there are things that we're asking for alongside the block, the block grant as well. But I guess I'm going to come to the big, the big picture, which is Gordon's review. Uh, he was, yeah, I think he leaked it, but it has been leaked, of course. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's, what he's doing is right. It's exciting. And I don't, I don't feel scared by the talk of a federal Britain. I think that's exactly what we need. And there's another reason why the combined authority model is the right model, rather than talk of an English parliament. Because 
if you have an English Parliament, it would dominate in terms of the size of Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland in comparison. But if you take Steve Rotherham and I, our population of around about five million is, you know, we're almost a partner, aren't we, to Wales or to, you know, we're, we're of a similar scale in Northern Ireland. And therefore, the UK can work then as equals, you know, with English regions partnering the nations. And it becomes more pragmatic, less political. You know, we just start working as a more of a federal uh, system. I was talking to Mark Drakeford yesterday about North Wales, North West, having more of a formal, formal partnership, which just makes it pragmatic, not political, I think. And that's the way, way to go. And the same should happen in Scotland. But my finishing point will be, I, I would say, not only to the parties who embrace Gordon's review completely, which I think it should. I also think of this conversation, mean, and you, you, you nudged me there, Akash, after I'd finished speaking, about more on devolution and what, what is the kind of real, real vision here. I, I think it's linked to how the conference voted yesterday. Think about Britain today and the way power flows around Britain, just if you think about it, think of the geography of the country. If, if it was like a grid, if you're of a power grid at night, what would you see? You'd see a kind of fairly strong light on in Holyrood in the Westminster area, not much in the rest of Scotland, by the way, because it's very centralised there. You would see a strong light on in Cardiff uh, uh, as well. Um, you, you would obviously, well, obviously Northern Ireland, but a bit faltering because of what, what's going on there. You might see flickering lights in Greater Manchester and one here, and you know, but you would see almost like a nuclear reactor strength power in London, wouldn't it, in the southeast, wouldn't you? Because of the power is flowing into there, and that's where it's all rooted at the moment. So I've talked about rewiring Britain. If you want to level up, I think you have to make power flow differently throughout the land. I think you have to give more places, more agency to do more for themselves. Leveling up can't be done by other people from the top down. You've got leveling up by definition has to be driven by people from the bottom up, or otherwise it won't it won't succeed. And I, I personally feel now we have to sort of rewire the country so that power flows very differently. And I, I am looking at not just the Senate of the nations and regions, you know, a parliament that equally, a national parliament that equally represents all regions and nations. That would be a thing, wouldn't it, you know, if we had that, uh, rather than a Lords that is largely M25 uh, driven, if, if you like, in terms of the, who's in there. I also would say, obviously, maximum devolution, but proportional representation from the Commons. In my experience in Westminster, power is concentrated in remarkably few hands in that, in, that, in that SW1A postcode. 50 to 100 people basically make the decisions that, that run the whole country. And consequently, we are in the country that we're in because how can you possibly do that and do that fairly from, from that type of system? And also, as, we're seeing, as Christian said, that system can be hacked by vested interests and, and it always is and, and we're seeing some of that at the moment. So, Rewire Britain, I think, is, is beyond Gordon's review, and I would, ex I would ask the party to embrace it whole. I think you've got to go further and hear what conference said yesterday. You know, the, 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 there is a clear, strong majority of people now who are calling for electoral reform. And electoral reform, combined with removing the whip system, because I think the whip system disempowers localities within Parliament, I would say you create a more a kind of a stronger regional voice in Parliament to get fairness when it comes to public spending. But then you would also have that devolution out that then allows people to get fairness in the spending and then do something with the spending without always, as I say, going and pleading with, with, with the centre. So that's my big call. You know, if you want to really level up, if you want a fairer greener, you have to rewire the country to create conditions in which that can happen.
on that small, non-controversial note, I will, uh, I will leave you. Okay, so, um, yeah, thank, thanks uh, to Andy and uh, Phil, thanks for yeah, um, waiting patiently. So now really uh, int- uh, keen to introduce Phil Woolley of Grant Thornton and, as mentioned before, looking forward to the insights from your, your recent research and wider work with uh, devolved and local government as well. Yeah, sure. So th- thanks, Akash. Um, I was just guessing when I thought you'd rather hear from Andy than a management consultant at the end there, but uh, <laughs> it seemed like it landed well. Um, so um, I'll try and fill in a few of the gaps uh, just from, from the, the comments that people have said. So as a firm, we work with lots of local authorities, devolved administrations around uh, putting levelling up plans together and, and implementing de- de- devolved solutions. Um, so the mini budget, you know, from our reading, did seem to mark quite a significant departure from where certainly Michael Gove was on, on levelling up and the missions that the government had defined previously. So what the status of the white paper is, who, who knows, but it, it does look like it's a, a different approach that the government is going to take going forward. Um, that has to provide an opportunity for, for, for Labour, I think, as, as Francesca has said, because this is sort of familiar territory for the Labour Party around levelling up. Um, so what should the Labour vision look like, or what, I guess, could the Labour vision look like if we look at what's good in the white paper, perhaps what's weaker in the white paper? Uh, so we thought the way the government defined some of the missions was quite interesting, and certainly the way they d- they'd linked that sort of accountability framework around the missions. Um, but Andy talked about the sort of capability of Greater Manchester. That same capability doesn't, doesn't exist everywhere. Uh, Greater Manchester has been doing this for 20 years. So in any sort of levelling up and devolved model uh, going forward, we think the government has got to be a lot more flexible about the types of model uh, that, that, that can be implemented in different places. So less of a sort of cookie-cutter approach uh, and more sort of bespoke deals depending upon the sort of functional economic geographies of, mm. a, of a particular place. Um, there wasn't enough money uh, in the white paper. I mean, I think that is clear given the sort of scale of aspiration in different places. Um, Andy talks about block grant for Greater Manchester, Merseyside. Um, just more money overall uh, if you are going to achieve the sort of scale of change around digital connectivity, transport, housing, skills. Um, there just didn't appear to be enough money on the table. Um, and I think the final thing is that whole sort of uh, looking at the way government does its business across different departments, how it pulls budgets, that sort of thing. Uh, the government had made a start around that, and the white paper started to address some of that issues, and indeed there's a, a number of initiatives that we're working on uh, with government that, that are looking at those areas, but that's a whole area that could go a lot further, I think. Um, so there's just three really sort of quick points, but I think, I think the, uh, my, my overall sense would be that levelling up and devolution is going to be remain a very high priority for Labour, would be my expectation. Uh, and it would seem that the government has departed from where it was before. Uh, this focus around investment zones is a completely different vision for levelling up that seems to be very private sector driven. Um, so I guess it's more familiar territory for Labour in terms of the, the more traditional sort of 
uh, argument with the Conservatives around levelling up and regeneration, um, which ought to provide opportunities, uh, I think, for, for, for Labour and Labour politicians going forward. Great. Thanks, Phil. Um, okay, so, yeah, keen to bring in some more people from the room. So, yeah, uh, chat there, and then gentlemen there. Um, and, yeah, we'll take... Okay, yeah, we'll take three. Thank you. Okay, so, first of all, as someone from Wales, I'd like to lodge a complaint about uh, Andy's point of... Uh, uh, Greater Manchester being the only place of stable government. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big claim. A yeah. very big fair, claim. Fair, fair uh, pushback. The... Uh, Andy touched on it a bit in the end there, but what my experience in Wales has been is that the Tory government has been massively pushing back on devolution, rolling back devolution, uh, you know, attacking it in Scotland and Wales and even in some of the local authorities. Uh, so really, the question I have is, if, we, if devolution is going to succeed, it needs to be protected. And does that require a written constitution? Does that require a formal framework? Because the way we've been doing it so far has been rather ad hoc, rather piece of legislation by piece of legislation. There's not been a unified approach to, to really secure the future that devolution offers. What type of model really does need to be put in place? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, good question. It links potentially to the, the Brown Review, of course, quite closely. So, yeah, I'd be keen to hear thoughts on that. Yes, thank so, you. Um, my name's Kendrick Fowler. I'm the... Disability Officer for Blackpool North and Cleveland. I grew up in the North East. Uh, growing up, I wasn't really aware of any regional inequalities. But as someone with a learning disability, I was aware of um, there was a difference between how I was treated at school and how other people in my school were treated. So I suppose my question is, uh, does the panel agree that to truly level up, we need to not only address regional inequalities, but uh, take an intersectional approach and, and address the equalities faced by disabled people and other minority groups. Thanks. Okay, yeah, good question, thank you. Um, yeah. Um, thank you. Um, Chris Luck, the CEO of the Shaw Trust, which delivers child to career um, um, public sector um, contracts. Um, my, my question is, first of all, Andy is always in, in entirely attractive in what he talks about and very, very compelling. Uh, and I think all of us naturally support that. Um, and he seems to me to be a, a leader in waiting as well as a leader today. So that's quite interesting. But my question for, particularly for the Instrument for Government, but for all of you, is for devolution to work at the level that Andy talks about, there is something about time. A government of the day, the national government, has a five-year window to be seen to be doing something. Now, that five-year window, as a pressure pushed down to devolved governments or devolved um, areas, means that they've got to start delivering within one to two years. So you suddenly end up with an extraordinary tension where the function of national government at the moment, from a time perspective, will be entirely destructive to devolved governments. I just wonder whether... That's something that I'm, I'm worrying too much about, or whether you, you have some thoughts on that. Okay, terrific. Thanks for your question. So, yeah, Christian, I'll, I'll come to you first, if I may. Uh, where to start? Um, I'll, I'll start with the last question. Um, so, in, in regards to time, you, you make a very important point. We, we saw it with the levelling up fund, um, if we can describe it as a fund that actually delivered levelling up, because everything needed to actually be constructed by May 2024, uh, to show that the government had delivered something just in time for a general election. Um, 
we're in a very interesting time now where we've got a trust government that doesn't have two years uh, to deliver anything. Um, I mean, we're, we're already seeing uh, what was happening with uh, a, a petri dish experimentation on a national scale with free marketeerism, and you know, I, I generally fear for the impact that it's going to have on households, lives, careers, uh, the economy. Uh, so, in, in terms of what can be done, I, th I think it's a really tricky one because I, I think central government has a inherent distrust of local government. Um, I think it's got an inherent distrust. Moving on to the, the other question about devolved governments, because central government, no central government, and thinks central government is best. It is, yeah, the decisions are best made when they are made as locally as possible, and whether that's at your council, a devolved assembly, um, actually in a parish council, and you know, we've got far too many places that aren't parish, don't have local town councils, don't have uh, anything else other than a wider borough or a county, uh, and it's the wrong way. But I fear that gov government has been trying to push local government reorganisation by stealth, by almost forcing councils to go bankrupt, and then say, well, well you failed, but if we, if we make you bigger, that will be better. And it's not. Bigger isn't always better. Um, it just needs to be local. And I think local is key when it comes to devolution, when it comes to levelling up, when it comes to inequalities, because that's where you know your community. And it's about knowing your community and how in, and how to deal with it. I'm going to the, the last question in, in regards to uh, inequalities, whether it's disabilities, whether it's LGBT, whether it's faith. We only succeed when everybody when everybody succeeds. So we find a, need to find a way to bring back respect, decency, and trust, uh, not only in government and representatives, but in the people. Uh, because ultimately we're going to come to you every four or five years and ask you to put our trust in you. And that's a two-way programme. We have to trust you at the same time to, you know, to ultimately make that decision, but also to empower you uh, to do everything you can do, to be everything you can be. And that means investing in you. Uh, so it's, it all goes back again to skills, to education, but to general decency. And I, I think we've seen a clear dividing line in politics this year about decency, about respect and trust when you had Keir willing to put his own career on the line that he was going to stand down if he was found guilty for breaking the same laws that Boris Johnson did and that was a ballsy move but it was the right move um, instead you ended up with a, a criminal Prime Minister who just carried on, carried on and carried on and you know, I'd like to think I played a bit in, in the downfall uh, but at the same time there was no decency, no understanding, no trust, and that needs to change. That entire approach of central government needs to change, and it starts here. Thank you. Okay, uh, Francesca, do you want to pick up on any of those questions or respond to anything else you've heard from the panel? I'll be very, I'll be very quick. I don't want to squeeze your time. <laughs> um, so very quickly, the comment from Wales. I, I would love to think that there could be a Devo default, that you have reserve matters right but I, I agree with what you said about that I think there has to be a journey towards that and I'm not sure that you could leap right there although you might aspire to it what I definitely think we need is single pot multi-function budgets 
um, representation on the cabinet from the mayors. And the one thing that hasn't been mentioned is that I'm really concerned at the loss of the supplementary vote system for mayors, which seems to be such a backward step in terms of actually encouraging, uh, you know, a more proportional representation. In terms of the comment that you made about levelling up doesn't get to all of the causes of inequality, I totally, absolutely agree with you. And I see that in my work on the women and girls panel, you, you know, where we, we can see where the gaps in the skills system really bear down on women and girls. And of course, women and girls are differently and there are intersectional inequalities in who pay, who has access to those skills and where you need to direct and target funding. So uh, that's important. And I do think that within the model of devolution, you can build in ways of, of giving voice to um, communities that don't necessarily have them um, through other mechanisms. Uh, and finally, in terms of the time scale, I think you, you can see a way in which having mayors gives stability to the system uh, and that bridges governments and it grows political leadership <coughs> competence and we should build on that. Thank you. Okay, Phil, lots of uh, issues you might want to pick up on. I mean, there's a couple of bits I, I'd be interested in, in your reflections on, including, I think, the, the, the question of funding reform. Mm. Francesca was just talking about how she sees that as a key, key part of the, the, the solution, and I think that's something you've thought about. Mm. Um, and this question of, of time, like how long does it actually take practically to, to do devolution properly? It's fine to make you know, bold commitments mm. to devolve power everywhere and create 25 new combined authorities, but what's, mm. what's actually realistic in that respect? I mean, I think it's an interesting question, gentlemen from Wales and, and the time, the, the sort of devo by default and, and the time issue. Um, so it does take time, um, I think, but, you know, so if you've looked at Greater Manchester, that's been 20, 25 years in the making. Um, but you talk about Devo by default, it would be a brave government who tried to row back in Greater Manchester or Merseyside now, so, and equally around the Welsh Assembly as well, Welsh Government. Um, you know, it's established itself based upon seizing the moment and, and a real strong record of success. Um, and now I think there's a blueprint, as Andy was saying, that others can adopt and learn from and, and sort of take forward. The interesting thing, I think, on time as well, from a central government perspective, uh, I mean, I take Christian's arguments, but I think, and again, Greater Manchester is an example of this, even when you've got a central government of a different political colour, if you've got a successful devolved administration, uh, they see them as a sort of, you know, a, a credible partner for delivery. Um, and I think Greater Manchester has done that really effectively as well. It's worked with a government of a different political persuasion really effectively, and that's to the, you know, the mutual benefit of both. Um, so that has enabled them to deliver, you know, real success in, in sort of shorter timescales. Um, so on the time point now, I think, you know, the, the, the good thing for the, those bodies, that are the newer ones coming through on the county deals now, etc., uh, have got models that they can learn from and, and are starting far higher up the sort of learning curve than others. Um, on, the, on the funding point, I think, um, I just make us the, the sort of simple observation of getting away from sort of small pots of biddable funds. 
into more of a sort of sort of block grant type approach that then plays back into the sort of time question enables longer term planning, more sustainable planning. Um, around local government reform though, local authority finances are in significant difficulty. Our modelling suggests that without serious corrective action, one in six are in serious trouble in the next 18 months, two years. Um, so, so that's another area that needs to be looked at and, uh, and addressed as a matter of urgency. <coughs> Great. Okay. Oh, oh no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, re really interesting. Um, thank you for all those answers. Um, I think we've got a couple of minutes left. I was just going to put one question to the three of you actually about. Um, so again, as as Labour develops its its policy in this area, um, on the question of governance models. So Phil, you just said I think you you, you made the point that there shouldn't be a cookie cutter approach and and a kind of attempt to replicate a single model, whether that's Greater Manchester or elsewhere, um, across the country. So I just wonder if you want to say a bit more about that, and I'd be interested in, in Francesca and Christian's thoughts as well, in terms of the, specifically the, the mayoral issue. Yeah. So this government and you know previous Conservative governments have really pushed this model of having strong accountable, high-profile metro mayors such as Andy. Uh, we've heard a lot of positive words about Andy Burnham, but obviously within local government and I think probably parts of the Labour Party, not everyone's convinced that that's necessarily always the right, the right model. Um, and, I mean, even in Greater Manchester, I've heard Andy Burnham himself um, say openly that, you know, the local council leaders there went along with the mayoral model, not out of great enthusiasm, but because George Osborne... Uh, made it clear that that was a prerequisite for getting the the extra funding and powers. So, I mean, what's your what's your take on that? And then I'll I'll bring in you two on that yeah. question as well, and then we'll close. So, I think a very simple take would be that areas shouldn't have options. So, in terms of governance models, just like economic plans, I think they have to emanate from the character of the place uh, and the what works in place, and that won't always be the mayoral model. Um, so I think giving places different options that they can work with, um, but obviously those options need to be framed uh, with a you know around a delivery structure that can work in a, di a number of different ways. Um, I mean it's quite interesting the journey that different places have been on, isn't it? Because Bristol have actually come backwards away from the mayoral model, yeah. uh, having had what many people would see as a very successful mayor actually, um, but given the politics of the place, they've decided to go. Uh, to, to revert back to a more sort of traditional local authority type uh, structure. Uh, so options really, I would say, um, you know, a number of defined options and uh, we've done some work around that which, um, you know, people can, can, can go and look at, but yeah, options really. Okay, yeah. thanks Bill. Uh, Francesca? Well, I, th I think it would be ironic, wouldn't it, to impose a model <coughs> everywhere. That, that would be entirely counterproductive. On the other hand, I think that uh, all places face issues around transport, developing good local jobs, housing solutions, and yeah, I, I think combining authorities it is probably essential in terms of being able to deliver on some of those infrastructural things, and I'd include childcare in infrastructure, by the way. Um, 
so I think you have to, what I think the government did well actually in its levelling up agenda was um, give, give, offer carrots, not sticks, and I think that's, that's important. Um, so I think that, that's all I want to say on that. Thank it's you. very ironic that the first time ever in my life I've shared a panel with somebody who understands local government finance and <laughs> nobody's asked about it. Normally I have to say I have to phone a friend and I've got a friend. <laughs> oh, we could probably have a whole second session on that issue. I, I, after Chris, having had to write a couple of council budgets, I don't want to talk about local government <laughs> finance. Um, I, I, think there's the <coughs> I think there's the model and then the model of financing. Um, and I, I, I get what you were saying, Phil, about it can't just be biddable uh, projects uh, that have a, a limited time span because there's no long-term strategy behind it. Um, so I, I think, as, as I was saying while, whilst you were speaking, was actually a, a more regional Barnet-type um, equation would be greatly appreciated for, mm -hmm. for places like the North where we do have that stable government um, and we can work from that. Um, I, I think, like Francesca said, a mayoral system isn't going to fit everywhere, um, but a combined authority is, um, because that's where you make decisions that are for the benefit of the entire conurbation. Uh, there's no point Berry building a road to the border if Bolton aren't going to carry on doing uh, the, the, the other side of it. Uh, so I think GM, uh, GMCA and a mayor, we're very lucky to have both, but that's why it works. Um, some places will just be happy to have a, a combined authority. Um, and that's not wrong. Mm -hmm. Some places will be happy to have a mayor, and that's not wrong. Mm -hmm. But it has to be a local decision as to what's best there, and you know, they may well change their mind, um, like you said in Bristol, but I, I think if we work on the assumption that a combined authority will be the, the best starting point, and we can take it from there, really. It needs to grow and, and evolve naturally. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, so we are now at the end of our time. Yes, or slightly over, so thank you all once again for joining us. Uh, many thanks to the panel. Um, just before we close, wanted to give a quick plug for upcoming Institute for Government events later today. So we have an event on how to govern in the digital age at 10.30 in the Jury's Inn. Uh, we then have an event on how government can support innovation to reduce regional inequality, which is in this building, I think, Concourse 2. And then we have a couple of net zero events. Wow, we have a busy, busy program. <laughs> my team, my, my colleagues in the events team have been very busy. Yeah, we have a couple of net zero events later and an event on how an incoming Labour government should work with the civil service. Um, so you can find out all about all of those. Um, so that's all from us. Many thanks again to Grant Thornton for supporting what I think has been a really interesting event. Thank you all. <laughs>